what's wrong? I should do all the small things. All right, Jamie, we are recording. It's time to talk about a movie. That's all I got. Say it ain't so, I will not. <laughs> Here I am, ready to record again. Bum, 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 bum. Wait, wait, let me just change my, fix my camera one second. Tony's the best around. Nothing's ever gonna get him down. He got his second shot, and now he really feels like shit. Yeah, man, it hit me. But you're still recording like a bouse. Are we recording right now? Yeah, yeah, I got something for you, though. Just have to fix my camera. Oh, no, what do you got? For, are you going to startle me again? I just have to fix my camera. Yeah, fix your camera. You're going to show me a staircase, aren't you, you fuck? <laughs> With five steps and a chin-up bar at the top and some sort of neck workout machine. What are you doing? <laughs> Look at you. How do I do it? At the top of a winding staircase. Oh, there's like multiple staircases. I know, dude. How did you do that? Is that why you're not feeling well? Yeah. Because you spent the day climbing? Climbing 18 staircases. <laughs> yeah, you got it. What do you got here? You got, a, got an escalator, and then there's a winding staircase that connects to another set of stairs. Yeah, pretty impressive. So anyway, I just wanted to show up. Uh, show you up because wouldn't it be funny if like there was a rocky sequel in which rocky inexplicably contracted a disability of some kind yeah and then like all of his montages were just him like climbing that massive staircase in philadelphia getting stronger and he just like (laughs) does one stair at a time isn't that what you do does your mom still like chill with you when you're climbing the stairs yeah she does she she plays uh her like iphone or ipad games and just make sure i don't succumb to gravity candy crush no not candy crush uh she plays like words with friends with her sister who um is constantly defeating her nice yeah which is really funny to me she's like a school teacher so she has that like uh that natural affinity for like vocabulary. Yeah. And so she's always just slightly ahead of my mom who is like really sharp herself, but you know, in other domains. Do you play Scrabble? I feel like you'd be very good at Scrabble. Uh, I, I don't know. Cause like Scrabble is not really like having a good vocabulary. It's more just like knowing that words exist. Oh, isn't that the definition of what a good vocabulary is? No, no. A vocabulary is not just like the lexicon of words at your disposal. It's like, it's like knowing how to apply the words. Right. But that's like a step beyond what Scrabble is. Exactly. So like, so, you know, I might have lots of words or I might like have a lot of words that I know how to apply, but maybe I don't know all the obscure words that would be required of being good at Scrabble. Cause in Scrabble, like there's all these weird, like small words without vowels that start with Z and like end with X. All the small words. Yeah. Well, I know I play with one friend who has all those little words memorized. Exactly. That's, like that's X, not a I Q I P O or whatever. I don't know. 
That doesn't mean he's like vociferously well read or something. It just means that he memorized words. Yeah, but like you still have to have a good vocabulary, I think, to be good at Scrabble. Mm-hmm. Because you have a maybe it's hard. Does CP get in the way of you like decoding letters and forming a word out of it? Do you mean do I have learning difficulties? I don't think that's what I'm saying, but I'm happy to have you answer that question. <laughs> I definitely have like uh, some anxieties, like as it pertains to learning. Like whenever I have to write a paper, I I, I get really um, I get really inside my own head and I start panicking. I'll even start writing the paper like two weeks beforehand. You actually do? Yeah, major major anxiety. Like I I really need to if I ever decide to pursue a film degree, like just for the hell of it, like for my own mental exercise. I would really have to take some courses on how to um, compose my thoughts on paper and not like panic about it. Some friends of mine who are in the arts, I kind of put them through hell when I needed help writing in in university. Do you have the same issue writing emails? No, for some reason I don't because I I have a stated purpose when I write emails and usually I'm, I'm communicating some sort of technical information, which you don't necessarily have to like, uh, there's usually only like one or two ways to phrase that the, the technical thing. Yeah. So th- there's no way to trip yourself up on like the optimal way to express a thought. What was, did you have to take writing or courses that made you write essays in your undergrad? No, I, I took, I took some film school electives, big surprise. And then I, uh, I was big into like creative writing in high school and stuff, but I, there there were some technical writing uh units or chapters whatever one whatever you want to call them in like our software project management courses in fourth year but they were pretty superfluous they're not very useful right what about you 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 have to blog for for your work right so you're for work i do some blogs yeah Mm -hmm. and then in my undergrad i same as you like it was a very technical program so we didn't have a lot of art stuff my electives were psychology and human rights. We got like maybe three electives in four years. Those are two of them. And then one other one was just like pick of these three technical programs. You can pick one or courses. And so I remember really enjoying writing, but I would never do it in advance. I was always the kind of student who would write the day before and then just pull an all-nighter and get it done. Yeah, I just I I could do all nighters uh, when writing code um, because it's kind of like binging your math homework, uh, and I was never really afraid of the logical solution that I'm working on. But I I could I couldn't binge like a, a writing project or an essay or whatever because I would get caught up in the multiple ways you could express an idea, and I would fall over. Like, you know, whether or not I was distilling what I needed to say. And then it would become this like horrible, um, vicious cycle where I would stop focusing on what I was saying and and fixate on how I was saying it. Right. I don't know. Even just trying to describe it, it, it's kind of like I'm putting myself in that headspace. And it's it's really it's really just a form of panic. It's making you anxious. Yeah, because because when I was in high school, like. I would really excel in English classes in any sort of like subject where you had to write. 
and I had learning difficulties in other places, like in uh, geography and history sometimes and uh, mathematics. Like I'd really have to brute force my way through a lot of like that route, that like homework in those subjects. But writing always came naturally. And then, and then with, with that writing came a certain expectation of myself and like from my instructors. And so I was always trying to live up to that. But I think I'm more adept at, at the hard maths than I am at writing for, for, for some things. I know I'm not quite making a whole lot of sense. It's really hard to explain. I don't know. The way I learn is a little bit fucked up. And I wonder if it's like related to CP at all. Did you put a lot of pressure on yourself to have good grades? Did your parents put pressure on you? No. Like they, um, how do I put this? My parents were always like, if you like, you need to get good grades because you need to have a well-paying job because mm-hmm. your life will be expensive. Yeah. So I think my parents sort of said the same thing to me almost indirectly, like that I really needed to focus on getting myself in a place where I can be as functional as an able-bodied person in a, in a workplace environment. And so I, I realized early on, like when I was a kid, I was like very, very disorganized. Like I remember in grade school, I didn't really start getting good grades until uh, middle school. Um, when I realized that the the positive reinforcement of a good grade, like that achievement in and of itself was kind of deeply rewarding. And then I noticed that my teachers and like uh, individual education planners and student support people, like they kind of looked at me differently. And I loved that because it was like, it was a way of refuting that sort of natural way that the able-bodied world can dismiss you if you're disabled. Right. You know, you know, he's in a wheelchair, but he gets good grades. And like, it's not hard to make that connection, of course. So once I got kind of addicted to that, like feedback loop, it became like a cornerstone of my, I, uh, of my like identity, my, my mood and my self-assessment, like my outlook on myself was directly tied to my grades. So if you got a D, D is for disabled. <laughs> yeah, and F is for, I don't know, feral, <laughs> useless. <laughs> C is for crippled, D is for disabled, B is for barely disabled. Or bi-able. And A is for able-bodied. There you go. <laughs> A plus is extra able-bodied. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. You just came up with that shit on the spot and you're not even feeling well? <laughs> Man, yeah, the second COVID vaccine is no joke. No, eh? I've heard that um, for pe- for people who get the second shot, if they weren't um, hit hard by the first, then the second will get you, which makes me nervous because I, I sort of didn't notice the first shot, to be honest. Yeah, I didn't really notice the first one either. I had maybe like slight muscle aches, but barely anything and i didn't really notice notice it until like 8 p.m but then tonight today i got my shot yesterday i woke up at like four in the morning yeah just feeling like absolute dog shit okay define dog shit like your body ached or did you so when a canine animal needs to <laughs> <defecate>. <laughs> no like yeah i woke up in the middle of the night and i I was like shaky, feverish, 
and also freezing cold and had a oh, headache no. and everything ached. Like all the combinations of symptoms at once. It, it was basically just, yeah, it felt like like the flu, I guess. Have you improved since that moment? Well, so I worked today and it was like I was a zombie. So I ended up leaving work early and I just turned off my computer, turned off the lights in my office, turned on the space heater and took like a two hour nap. Okay. And that made me feel a bit better. And then I had a good, I had my like traditional feeling sick dinner. And then afterwards. What's your traditional feeling sick dinner? Like someone puts a boost in your feeding tube? No, I had a I had soup. Ginger ale? No, I do just like, I don't know why I love it when I'm sick. Because I don't have a sweet tooth as we've discussed. Yeah, and I'm disgusted with that fact. Yeah, well, you're wrong. <laughs> so I had these like waffle chips. They, are there cho- Is there chocolate on them? No, they're a bit sweet, but then I put like buckwheat honey on it and it was so good. A bit sweet? What the fuck is buckwheat honey? You have to have fiber in your honey? It's like honey, but the bees only eat buckwheat. <laughs> Where the fuck do they get the buckwheat? They get buckwheat and then they prison the bees with the buckwheat and then they have to, uh, they can only pollinate buckwheat. So the honey comes out darker and tastes a bit different. Sounds like you're full of dog shit, Tony. I know, it does sound really pretentious. So, like, do you just, like, look down upon people who like sugar? No, but I do think that sugar is not really good for you. I would agree with that, yeah. My parents, I we've talked about this even in the last episode, they just consume mass amounts of sugar. That's their only vice in life. Yeah. And it's like when my dad notices me having a bad day, he'll, like, Give me a couple squares of chocolate. It's like pretty, it's actually a a really kind gesture, like, you know, relative to him and the way that he shows affection. How does he notice that you're having a bad day? What are you doing? I I guess I I can appear mopey or, you know, I'm not talking as fast or I'm laughing seldomly or I might just look real tired. I don't know. I probably telegraph my emotions like quite obviously. And that's probably another symptom of CP. You don't put your socks on until 3 p.m. Or at all, yeah. The color of my feet yeah. is a direct indicator of my... Uh, up, uh, my Mental health. Mental health, yeah. <laughs> Gross. When when your feet are blue, you're blue. Yeah, I'm, I'm anxious for you to tell me that you're feeling better, though. Like I'm, not, I'm feeling a bit better. I took a Tylenol, which is the first time I've taken Tylenol in years. Oh my goodness. So it's been a while since you felt sick like this. No, I get sick, but I just, I have a real aversion to taking time. Mm-hmm. But I knew we had to record today and I also had to work today, obviously. Have you had any cold chills or like difficulty regulating temperature like this evening? Yeah, no, I'm st- I had the heater on until we started recording. I still have like a headache and then I, I feel extremely weak. And then my muscles are just all achy. But I think it's probably getting a bit better. It could be the Tylenol, but I'm hoping that I'll just wake up tomorrow and feel great. Can your cat, Jack, like, does Jack notice that you're down? Yeah, he was chilling with me for a bit. Yeah, he was putting his butt in your nose? He was actually, he was laying on my lap 
and then he put his head on my joystick controller. Mm -hmm. But then it got to a point where his head was tilting my chair back. What? Yeah, so like he moved his head and it started pushing my joystick back, uh, which started tilting my chair back. Yeah. And then he's just looking around like, why are we tilting? <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> I honestly think that Jack might be what kills me. I, I feel like one day he's going to jump up on my joystick and drive me off the balcony or something. How many times have you had this thought? Every time he's standing on my joystick. He just thinks I'm a piece of furniture in the house. That would be the goofiest Agatha Christie novel ever. <laughs> they like try to investigate the homicide, and it turns out it was my cat. <laughs> Doubtlessly, like VHJ would get blamed at first because, yeah, I don't know where to take this. Yeah. Speaking of which, are your have your attendants taken pity on you for your current state, or are they still like denying you? Uh, clean dishes and cat furless couches. I remember waking up at like five mm-hmm. and, and kind of like being like, all right, of the people I'll probably get today, I hope it's at least this person, this person, or this person. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those people. Okay, so you won that lottery, okay. So I won that lottery and then she was just really chill, you know. She doesn't demand much in the morning, so like what does that mean? What does it mean when you get a demanding attendant in the morning? Well, they just want to like talk the whole time. You know, I'm not a morning person. Obviously, I was even less of a morning person today. They, they just do the work. They do a great job, but it's not, they're not like trying to have a conversation the whole time and all. Okay, okay, okay. I have a like a private, like a personal question that may not be appropriate, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. Did you at least like have a good poop today? That's the worst part is I woke up and I I kind of knew that my body was so weak and achy that it wasn't going to work out. Mm. And I sat there, tried playing chess, couldn't remember how to play chess. No. And then... Um, Did you try checkers? I tried checkers. I tried Uno. I tried Chinese <laughs> checkers. And none of them helped. And I remember just eventually just giving up. So you just settled on like Pokemon Go or something, mental Pokemon Go? Yeah, I do. I was just like, I guess tomorrow is the day. Yeah. That definitely didn't help because I uh, could tell that I wanted to dump. But anyway, so then I had that attendant. She was pretty cool. And then my evening attendant, she came in while I was sleeping in my office. And she was very nice. She just kind of like very gently woke me up. And then was like, I'll just chill out here until you're ready. Uh, so I very slowly went out to the kitchen. She even like kind of gave my, me like a bit of like a temple and forehead massage to try to mm. ease my headache a bit, which was That's really good. nice. She put a cold towel on your forehead? No, because I was still like, you know when you're hot, but you feel cold? Yeah, you feel like your body can't retain heat. Yeah, so I don't want anything cold. Yeah, I get that. Yep. Yeah, so I just had dinner and and then I had to prep for this episode. And now here we are. The prep for the episode meant climbing some stairs. It looks like you're in a shopping mall plaza somewhere. Right. I think I am. I don't know. Like, so to describe the picture, yeah, I'm, I'm using one of those virtual backgrounds mm-hmm. just to throw off Jamie because he 
has his super annoying staircase behind him, just proving <laughs> that he can walk. Why is it annoying? We've, we've covered this. Can you re-articulate it for me one more time? It's it's a very ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. thing for you to hold on to. <laughs> you think I'm trying to hold on to my like physical autonomy by constructing a a, a ridiculous cripple stairmaster? Okay, fine. There's nothing wrong with your physical autonomy. You should definitely keep that. Mm-hmm. But did you need a pretend staircase? Well, I don't have a real staircase in my house, so what else am I supposed to do? Go to a friend's place and walk around their split level? Well, it's just ridiculous that your parents, to try to make your house more accessible, were like, let's build a single floor unit so that it's very accessible for our disabled children. Yeah, but then they fucked up the width of the door, so we constantly have to like do a Mission Impossible sidestep into our own bathrooms to like go pee and everything else okay so on top of the stress of the of the transfer to the toilet you have the fucking espionage of going from the door frame to the fucking porcelain and it's just yeah but then basically you said to your dad dad you know what this house is missing this accessible <laughs> house is missing stairs yeah can we can we like no longer have this be a core floor and like ruin its marketability to like retiree couples right. and other disabled people by like creating an arbitrary staircase. Yeah, just have a staircase leading to nowhere. But there are plenty of arbitrary staircases leading to nowhere. I didn't go to the, the Catholic version of high school in Thunder Bay because it had all sorts of erroneous staircases. And you think that if you're at this point in your life... You'd be ready for those staircases now because of your practice flight. The yeah, the inferiority that that in, that instilled in me of being denied further education from the Catholic school board made me want to build a staircase just to prove that I could go there if I wanted to in my mid thirties. <laughs> I appreciate the endeavor, but I still think it's like when are you gonna go to a place and your friends like, sorry, Jamie, we're going out, but. I don't think you'll be able to come because there's four steps. And you're like, I've been practicing for this moment. Yeah, yeah. And then like Gonna Fly Now starts playing in the background. Yeah. Okay, so yes, it may never actually happen in real life. Don't you have like rituals or routines or forms of physical therapy that you insist on pursuing because there are things that you can do now that you want to keep being able to do? Yeah. Maybe I'm just jealous. I think I said this last time. I'm jealous that you can take the stairs. And I don't think that I want to be reminded of it every time I talk to you over video. Okay, so I should I should relocate my webcam. <laughs> I will just collect a series of stair photos to use as my background. I feel like I should tell you something about you that I'm jealous of now that you've said that, though. Okay, I'll give you time to think about it. Okay, I'm jealous of your natural sense of direction. I'm jealous of... My sense of direction isn't even that good. It's pretty fucking good. When you decide to go somewhere in the city of Ottawa, you can get there without stressing out. That means you have a good sense of direction. Yeah, but I mean, I have to, like, look at a map first. (laughs) I do that too, but I look at it and I'm like, what the fuck is this? It's just a big mental question mark. And then I start freaking the fuck out. 
there are, there's all kinds of actually little things that I'm slightly jealous of. I guess jealous is the wrong word. Really? Okay, tell me another one. I don't know. You, like you, you always solve all kinds of little problems in your life. Like the way that you've leveraged home automation to be basically like fully functional within your living environment. That's just endlessly impressive to me. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. And like you're always like planning for the future and I'm always like just trying to get through the day. Okay, well, you can climb stairs. Yeah. And you're holding your microphone right now. I'm holding it in my left hand, which like people have made jokes because uh, because of my CP, I often become unaware of what I'm doing with my left hand. So this actually isn't that impressive because I'm like basically not not aware of it. I'm jealous of the fact that you your ability levels relatively stay the same. Well, I suppose relatively that's true. Last year, I went. I was going for long walks where I would push the battery of my chair to its limit. And now this year, my arm is so weak that I'm like hesitant to even go full speed. Well, these are things, though, that are beyond your control. And so it's not worth being jealous about. It's not like a personal failure of yours. Again, like jealous probably isn't the right word, same as what... You're not really jealous, but... Yeah. So is this bit like not a fruitful discussion, you think? Oh, no. I think it's good to still talk about how reasons why we're jealous of each other. Get it all out on the table. Because otherwise it, it manifests as like, you know, shitty, like sharp retorts and yeah. little jabs at one another that may not be healthy. I wouldn't want you to resent that I can turn my lights on by voice. <laughs> yeah, no, of course not. And I wouldn't want to resent that you can take four steps while your mom plays Candy Crush or words with friends. Right. Sometimes she does other things, but mostly it's Candy Crush. She'll FaceTime with my sister and be like, look how ridiculous your brother is. Ha 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 ha. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I want to be part of that. Okay. Should we talk about a movie? Yeah, we could talk about a movie. All right. Well, what movie did we watch? We watched a 2017 family drama comedy film called Wonder with uh, Jacob Tremblay. He's the Haley Joel Osmond of the 2020s or the 2010s, whatever the fuck. Who is Haley Joel Osmond? Haley Joel Osmond is the little boy who's seen dead people and he turned into a Um, frumpy, bloated beer drinker in his 30s. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, He's kind of kind of lost his luster nowadays i think he i could be wrong but i think he's like fairly like right right wing and like ignorant i don't know that's why i'm kind of i'm being a dick i apologize Haley joel osmond i'm sure you're cool <laughs> anyway wonder stars uh jacob tremblay uh as a boy with fairly extensive facial disfigurement facial differences yeah facial differences yeah he was born with uh with some sort of uh, chromosome error. Chromosome. Chromosome? Did I say chromosome? Yeah. That zone. Okay, so. Can you do the whole movie synopsis in Christopher Walken? Okay, I can try. So, Tony, you know, you've got Jacob Tremblay in his face. It's disfigured. It's not great. He struggles, you know. The movie is about this little boy 
who's going to middle school, you know, he's been homeschooled for the first 12 years of his life. It's crazy. And his parents say to him, please, Jacob, we know you don't look like other children, but it's not normal to be so solitary and you've got to get out there and live your life. So please, we're sending you to school. It's a great school. You're going to love it. Please, children, scooch closer. I don't want to have to tell you again about the scooching. So yeah, it's just the the sixth grade or the fifth grade of this kid's life. It's like a two-hour movie of him getting acquainted with uh, middle school life and dealing with bullies and, you know, proving things to himself. And uh, it's very schmaltzy and like it's like supposed to be uplifting and heartwarming and when you say supposed to be, are you implying that you didn't feel like it was? Well, I sort of enjoyed it in the moment. Like I was sort of like taken into all its various charms and that. But when I think about it after the fact, like much of the movie was sort of unnecessary. And it was pretty, it was pretty fucking schmaltzy. What? First of all, what is schmaltz? It sounds like a meat lieutenant the Jewish deli. It's just like an overly sweet but low quality dessert. It's just ugh. It's like all icing, no cake, you know. But not like the good, like whipped icing that you can eat like in, in any qual- uh, quantity and still feel good. See, now you're speaking a language I don't even understand. Yeah, but I can't. I don't know how. Do, how do I relate this to you in terms of like like butter chicken sauces or something? It's the buckwheat of honey. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just. It's a Hallmark movie. Yeah, that doesn't make it a bad thing, though. No, the, my problem, I guess, is that it's based off a fictional book. And the authors, the, according to Wikipedia, the author's um, inspiration for the novel or the series of novels was when her son encountered a boy like out in public who was slightly uh, disfigured and he reacted by crying. And so she she wanted to like write this book as a form of atonement for her child's behavior or something, like as an exercise in empathy. And so the lack of it having its roots in like real disability, I suppose, like just sort of distances me from caring in retrospect. Okay, so you don't think it was a disability movie? Uh it was like Jacob. Uh, what was his act? Oh, his name was Augie. That's another thing that I didn't like. His his full name is August. And I'm like, what what is the name Augie as a nickname? It sounds like the it sounds like a, the name of a new puppet on Sesame Street. Like that's not a that's not a person's name. It's such a weird thing to get hung up on. I know, but it's like, come on, Augie. Your your name is Jamie, and people call you Jim and James and Joe. Okay, they don't, it's rarely Joe, it's Mr. Joe. <laughs> so Augie's like a cute little nickname. Yeah, I guess. I thought you wouldn't like this movie. And it's, I, I didn't really know why I thought that. I'm still trying to figure it out. Because I thought it was a nice movie. Yeah, like an, okay. Like it was, it had a lot of soul and a lot of heart. I think the acting was great. Like, okay, so it had... Owen Wilson yep. as the dad, which is a hilarious casting decision. Basically, it's trying to answer the question, like, what would Owen Wilson's kids' nose look like? 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. If if Owen Wilson's nose was like scaled up to the entire face, because <laughs> I don't know if our viewers know this, but his nose is broken and it's been notoriously uh, strange to look at for his entire career. I kind of like it. It's kind of, it's one of those things where it draws you into his face. Yeah. It's like when a beautiful person has like a mole somewhere and yeah. it just accentuates their beauty such that they they suddenly become like unforgettable looking. He's also a really good actor. Like the way he speaks makes you wish that he was your dad. Yeah. Like he's so cool and genuine. Yeah. The moments that they had in this movie between Owen Wilson and Trombley, Jacob Trombley. Yeah. Yeah. We're so authentic and heartfelt and just, I don't know. Every time I saw them, I was like, oh, those are really nice father-son interactions. Yeah. And then Julia Roberts is the mom Mm -hmm. who, you know, is obviously amazing also. She's very, very good. She does a lot with very little. Yeah. But she has the most emotive face I've ever seen. And she has total command over it, like on the screen. So like whenever Augie does something where he like uh, make strides in his social life or, you know, takes a risk and she's like in the scene to witness it. She always like comes near tears and you actually feel it. It is lovely. Like you're right. There are beats of this film that do work by virtue of the performances. I feel like you're being way too critical for some reason. Well, is it because you want a movie to be like cutting edge new wave indie and you don't want it to just be good acting good heart maybe it's too close to the word inspirational i suppose it is like the cinematic equivalent of cookie cutter inspiration porn yeah i'm a sucker for inspiration okay so we've established that owen wilson is really good at being owen wilson Everyone's good. Like even the kid actors, like his student friends are really good. They the are. The teachers That's... are really good. Mandy yeah. Patinkin is like the, the principal or something. He's amazing. Mandy Patinkin sounds like the name of a ship that they sailed in the 1400s. And he also looks like the captain of that ship. <laughs> he does. Yeah. He is a good actor. I heard he's a real dickhead in person or on set. Like he's one of those self-important little shits i mean he's really good you heard that from a reputable source i did yeah i've read about it repeatedly Uh, and i loved him in homeland and i really like what's her name anyway that's beside the point (laughs) starting to review homeland (laughs) what do you think about claire danes (laughs) see that like i need you to stop me from falling down the rabbit hole of my own bullshit (laughs) okay so Speaking of your own bullshit, let's talk about why you don't like the movie. Um, I I don't know. Like it it has that that sort of like like movie adapted from a book syndrome where it's simultaneously packed with exposition and plot, but it still somehow feels like narratively anemic. You know what I mean? Like like it really needed another pass for like the teleplay adaptation. What do you think it was missing? Okay, like, let's just talk about it for a while. So, um, so yeah, the movie is all about Augie's uh, first year of school. And it's 
the experience of his life and what it's like growing up with a disabled person, essentially, from his perspective and his 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 sister, his older sister's perspective, who is not disabled, and then from a variety of other people that surround Augie. So uh, his closest friend that he sort of builds a relationship with throughout the film at school, another fifth grader who's a boy who's, you know, has a high emotional quotient and like spends a lot of the film, like figuring out Augie and, and how to best get closer to him and draw out his personality and such. And then sounds like you're describing a terrible movie. Well, so because it's sort of structured as a series of vignettes, like every character has a voiceover and, and it's, it's sort of, it's that kind of lost, that lost phenomenon, you know, where you see the same events repeatedly from, from different characters perspective. And then that new perspective is, it acts as like kind of like a plot twist or like a revelation. And so you're supposed to have that reward of, of understanding and empathizing with new people as the movie goes along. I thought that really worked for me because when I was watching this, I kind of immediately picked up on the fact that the sister was always second to the disabled son. And did you feel guilty because you've encountered the same phenomenon in your actual life? Or you just like felt that because you're an empathetic guy? Yeah. Like I grew up in a foster home with, a lot of kids with disabilities Mm -hmm. and a lot of different disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so for some of it, I was the one taking attention away from others. Mm -hmm. But for other parts of my life, um, some siblings required more attention than I did. So I was sort of the one that had to figure things out on my own and figure out how to get by and be independent. So I was relating to that kind of from both sides. Mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. And then I liked the exposition that you didn't seem to like where it showed her, the sister's sort of perspective of all that and how she's just trying to make it. And it felt really real to me, the whole thing. I, I do think that that is how a person in her situation would probably feel. And it's cool that they kind of went there and, and fleshed her out. And you do... Yeah, I get a good sense of her isolation. Yeah, she says this one line. Augie, I'm sorry, but you're not the only one who has bad days. Bad days? Do people avoid touching you? When a person accidentally touches you, do they call it the plague? So that brought up a couple things for me. One is good for her for saying that. Because mm-hmm. you probably feel like you can't say that. And yeah. she says it. And she doesn't say it in a rude way either. Uh-huh. She's just kind of trying to be like, okay, Augie, I know your whole life has been revolving around you. And maybe that's necessary because you've had 27 surgeries to get to where you are now. Yep. And, you know, you need a lot of help. And that's understandable. But because of that, maybe you've also forgotten about the people around you or their needs. Right. And, and being too much the center of attention as a child can significantly warp your personality if, if you're not put in check or you don't have that opportunity to leave the nest and realize how small you are relative to everyone else, which is one, of, one, one lesson I think you kind of learned repeatedly or we might have learned repeatedly from attending Carleton University. 
the other thing I really got out of it was when he's like, bad days, you know, you can't compare your life to mine. Yeah. Are we playing oppression Olympics in, in this situation? Like, how often do you hear someone complain and you go, really, that's what you're complaining about? That I actually have a bit of an anecdote re- relating to that, but I meant it to be more funny than serious. Okay, we'll make it funny. Okay, so my coworker uh, at my job in Thunder Bay, he's my age, and uh, we have quite a lot in common. We have to work together on a lot of different projects, and I'm I'm not nearly as well versed in his domain as he might be in mine. So there's an interdependency there, and so I like him a lot. He's a great guy, and uh, I, I but I bug him a lot because he's like evidently very easygoing and you know maybe i'm rambling a little too much anyway he recently broke his pinky finger uh at his own bachelor party which occurred this weekend in a cabin somewhere with several friends and he was (laughs) like waxing or he was really complaining in our discord when you're playing rocket league on break like he's like, man, you guys don't know how hard it is to have a broken pinky. Like <laughs> I, I can't, I can't use home row when I'm typing, and I can scarce, I can scarcely grip my coffee mug. <laughs> it constantly feels like I'm gonna drop my cup of hot coffee. This, this really sucks. And I was like, please tell me more about how disabled you are. <laughs> right. And but I meant that as a joke, and he under he understood it to be a joke, and because him and I kind of have this tip for tat at work. Like, it's okay for me to say something like that and to challenge him. Uh, and like, we've never ever like disagreed, disagreed in a serious way. It's always to entertain ourselves and, you know, the group. And so I could do that. But yeah, like I, I've, I've definitely played oppression Olympics and I've, I can remember having fights with my sister when we were kids because I felt like she didn't really like understand why I might need additional help for things from our parents that she didn't need and also feeling resentful that she didn't require the same amount of surgery that I did, which is like kind of fucking weird. Hey, Sarah, you didn't suffer as much as I did. How dare you, you know, be healthy and okay. I've done it before. I'm definitely guilty of sort of from the opposite end. I'll start to think about, you know, I'm sad that I'm getting weaker or something. And then I'll start looking, purposely looking for videos and pictures and stuff on the internet of people in worse situations than me. Oh God, that's a strange like exercise, but I could see why you do it. Yeah, to try to kind of remind myself, I guess, of, you know, it could be worse. Um, and I don't know if it's a healthy thing to do. So you're just like constantly looking up pictures of like John Merrick or something? <laughs> I am not as disabled as he is. <laughs> I am just a little disabled. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't know. Is, is it healthy? I can't really tell you. Well, it's a... It's a coping mechanism, right? It's a coping mechanism, yeah. And you shouldn't feel guilty for your coping mechanisms, especially if you're not hurting anyone else in the process. Okay, but then flipping it, if someone complains about their life to me... Sometimes, depending on the situation, depending on my mood, depending on the person, 
you know, there's a lot of factors, but sometimes I catch myself going, I don't, I don't sympathize with that. I think everyone does that. You only have that you have a bucket yeah. of care and empathy for others. And that bucket like sometimes needs to be replenished. And if you reach the end of it before the person is done complaining, that's just life. Yeah. Um, I think I also have like bigger buckets for different people. As you should. That totally makes sense. It's 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 in proportion to that other person's willingness to reciprocate. You know, if Jeff yeah. came to you and said, uh, like life is really stressful right now. I'm not sleeping, you know, COVID plus running my own business plus, oh God, everything. You would be like, Jeff, I love you. I'll listen to you for the next four hours. Right. But there's only so much that I can complain to you about not being able to get to the fifth step of my staircase. Well, for you, I I can make those jokes because I know that you know that I don't really care and I'm not actually annoyed or anything. I'm just doing it to get a reaction. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we've had our fair share of heart-to-hearts where we talk about what's going on in our lives. Uh-huh. And in those moments, I don't think either one of us is ever comparing. No. But I think that's because, like, yeah, right, what you're saying is it just depends on how big the bucket of empathy you have for that person is. If you execute it properly, then like even making that comparison, you know, between disabilities, however unhealthy, you can actually make it into a beneficial conversation. Like just that joke, yeah. just that joke about the relativity of my coworker suffering to mine or to yours. It like can be a source of relief to my coworker. Right. Because then he's like, oh, true. It's the same thing as when I'm looking at people in worse situations than me. Yeah. I'm looking at them, albeit voyeuristically, but the purpose is so that I can have a bit more calm. Yeah. And so when you make that joke to your coworker, you laugh and that helps release some of the tension. But in addition to that, it gives him instant perspective where he's like, oh yeah, okay, this isn't that big of a deal. Plus, like, there's always this sort of innate pressure not to talk about the things that really bother us or or the things, the problems that we have that may not ever have an obvious solution. Right. It's like, no, 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 you can't dwell. You can't dwell. Like, keep listening to your pop music and everything is awesome. Blah, 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 blah. You know, right. and keep doing that. And if you can find a way to joke about it, or like you got to find a way to fucking talk about it and put it out there in the open, even to the types of people who you might assume are incapable of hearing that information, you know, maybe test those boundaries because you need to, you need to connect with people. Uh, and it's important to talk about the things that you feel pressured not to sometimes, because it shouldn't be taboo to say like, I'm, I'm worried that I'm losing you know, I'm worried that things are getting worse. I I need some help. Yeah, I, I've definitely struggled with um, forcing myself to always be okay with everything. Yeah, because that just adds up. It adds up very quickly. And then eventually you just, it, you know, it's like a 
a dam breaks and some little thing makes me like get really upset because I'm just like, oh no, you know, like I'll get stuck on the balcony or something and then just like feel a, a spiral of negative emotions and I have to realize that if I was more okay with being a little upset every time, then this one incident wouldn't ruin my day. Yeah, it wouldn't be the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Occasionally I do have like conversations at my mom, who's like a really good listener and like spent her life like working in an ICU and has seen her fair share of bullshit and dealt with a lot of her own struggles. And uh, occasionally I will have conversations at her when I reach my limit of cumulative disabled bullshit, you know, plus the stress of working a 40 hour week, plus the stress of COVID, plus the isolation of my existence, plus whatever nonsense is going on. And I will have like a moment where I need to like just vent. Yeah. Like shout talk about everything that's been bothering me lately. You know, when the fuck am I going to get out of my parents' house? (laughs) Like, when am I going to resume being a human being? You know, am I ever going to make a connection with another person romantically again? Is that going to fucking happen? Or am I just going to keep, you know, I'm, I'm starting to do it right now in real time. Right. But occasionally I'll do that. And my mom understands that I'm not yelling at her. Yeah. She understands that. It's just, it's just built up and it needs to come out. And so I'm very grateful to her for that. Um, and yeah, you should be able to do it too, I guess. I, I definitely have certain people that I can lean on. It's like, it's just practice, I guess. My mom has that kind of like, that kind of like irreverence or that steel veneer of like a care worker or a nurse right. where she just like knows all the shit that can happen. And so she can just say like, yeah, well, that sucks. And here's what you can do in the short term. Right. And here's what we can strive for in the long term. And, you know, I care about you a lot, uh, but you got to, you know, stay the course and keep your head above water and fucking keep going up your little stairs and I'll keep playing fucking words with friends. That brings us to another good quote from the movie where basically Augie... I hate that name. Augie goes... That's the name of Paris Hilton's dog. Augie goes to school for the day. Yep. And Augie has a bad day at school. So Augie comes home and Augie is upset. <laughs> it is a weird name, I'll admit. And he he's upset. He doesn't want to talk to his parents. He kind of snaps at them at the dinner table. And then everyone cools down. His mom, a.k.a. Julia Roberts, goes up to talk to him. And, you know, in his venting, kind of like when you're talking at your mom, he's talking at his mom, and his mom is, like, perfectly receptive. And he says, Argie says... Is it always going to matter? And that also really hit me. And this is when I was like, oh, this is for sure. Like, right from the jump, I was like, I was pretty sold on it being a disability movie. Just the intro itself describes, like, how his birth was difficult and 
people don't look at him the same way. And yeah. He doesn't feel like an ordinary kid. Just the surgeries thing, like, re- like cemented it for me. Like, I know I've been on the fence this whole time, but yeah, the fact that he, like, his whole childhood was kind of a stressful ordeal and he had to go through a bunch of things that most kids don't. Yeah. Yeah. So when he says, is it always going to be this way? He said, he means, is it always going to matter that that I look like this? Mm-hmm. Are people always going to think of me differently and look at me differently? And I still think about that. Like, how long is it going to be before disabled people are equal? And I mean, there is no concrete answer to that. We've talked about it in context of dating and another context before yeah but i mean ultimately we're definitely not there yet and it's going to be a while i think we're i mean we're, as a society i think we're moving in that direction but i i still i remember as a kid being like am i am i always gonna have to find a way to use my personality to overcome my physical limitations so I can make a human connection with another person. And so I think they got that right. Well, Julian Roberts' response is, I don't know. Right, which is amazing. And the very fact that she's like not willing to placate her son is lovely. That really works. She also gives an even better uh, answer about basically how your heart is the map of where you're going and your face is the map of where you've been. Uh huh. We all have marks on our face. I have this wrinkle here from your first surgery, and I have these wrinkles here from your last surgery. This is the map that shows us where we're going. And this is the map that shows us where you've been. And it's never. Which is a great line. It's like that Hannibal Lecter quote. Are you really comparing this to Hannibal Lecter right now? I'm sorry. But in Red Dragon, the 2002 film by... Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where are you going with this? He's like, scars remind us that the past was weird. Or He's like, uh, scars remind us that the past was real. You merely adopted the darkness. Yeah, yeah. I was born in it. All my impressions of Hollywood villains are just a shitty rendition of the Ledger Joker. I don't know how I got this. (laughs) Well, the first thing I thought of when I heard her say that was actually, I was like stressed out about the idea of those parenting moments where a kid is going through a crisis emotionally and you have to figure out, like, you know, in the movies where they have like the perfect response. Uh huh. Obviously, I don't think it's expected that all parents have perfect responses, but it does give me a lot of anxiety to think about if I would have kids and they were to be going through something like this, would I know what to say to actually help them through it? Because if Julia Roberts said that to me and I was Augie, I would have been immediately like, oh, that's like the best thing you could have said. Well, I think... This is sort of a function of the medium of cinema where these poignant moments have to be captured in dialogue. Right. Because there's there's few other ways to sort of convey the bond between Augie and his mother in this particular moment. But there are all kinds of ways in which 
your parents can instill confidence in you as a child that things will be okay. Do you have an example? I remember one time, this is one of the things that stuck with me with my dad. It was, he was never, he, he was always like, he oozes wisdom, but it never came out in little poignant bits that spoke to me quite like this one. I remember I had a really good friend in high school who was top of every class, super, super smart guy, super nice guy too, but super, super smart, literally like done 99% in all the courses. And then I remember when we were getting to like grade 11 and 12, we were trying to figure out what our next step in life was. And he's, he said he wanted to be a pilot. And to me, I was like a pilot, like you could be a astronaut, like you could literally be a neurosurgeon and you, you would excel. And I remember bringing that home to my parents, to my dad, saying that and just being like, you know, so-and-so is, wants to be a pilot, which blows my mind because, you know, he's so smart. In retrospect, I realize now how smart a pilot actually needs to be. So it doesn't really, I don't feel the same way now. But in the moment, my dad is like, well, he's going to be the best pilot. That really spoke to me because I was like, first of all, it eased a lot of pressure that I felt to be something amazing. And I realized that they just value being really good at whatever it is you want to do. Right. He probably doesn't even remember it. It probably meant nothing to him. Just a thing he said. But I remember my whole world shifted in that moment. Yeah, it's not just, it's not just you know, pursuing an occupation that you're good at. But it's having the desire and the passion to continue to be good at it. Right. And also just sort of knowing that distinction that is really, really important. Well, my parents are also very humble people and they're very, uh, they're always really good at just appreciating what they've got. Yes. They never really want much else. Yes. And they're just super kind, regardless of what's happening. They really just want you to be happy. Like even now we'll talk to my parents, my dad, especially I'll tell him like all the things I'm doing and he doesn't care how much money I make at my job or what other things I'm doing. He's just like, well, are you not too busy? Like, are you having fun? Are you seeing your friends? Are you hanging out with people? Those are the things that he's really instilled as value to me. And that always meant a lot because I, I had this unspoken idea that they wanted me to just succeed. Mm -hmm. And they do, but their definition of success is not based in money or anything like that and i really took that to heart and now i really value connections with people over anything i do too uh because the more connections that i have the more i feel or am like truly integrated into the community that i want to be a part of yeah to me it's not the more connections that i have it's just the quality of the connection i don't need to have a bunch but i just need to have solid ones yeah <laughs> i don't mean like connections in terms of like volume of facebook friends i just mean like like the depth of the connection yeah, yeah. and like you, you know do you have a moment that you could cite off the top of your head where 
when your parents said something to you in a moment that really inspired your life? <laughs> My dad does have this penchant for speaking in Proverbs. Like, I think he fancies himself like quite wise, which is not untrue, of course. It's more in his like actions toward me in the past that have sort of proven things or, or instilled confidence in me, I guess. Yeah. I remember in second semester of first year, this was 2008, it was like a particularly awful winter in Ottawa. Reading week was approaching and uh, I was really bummed because I was not able to come to Thunder Bay. I had to study and I had things that I needed to do in the lab. I had to remain on campus and I had maybe one of the worst like short-term depressions of my life thus far. And I remember like calling my mom and being like, I don't know what to do. Like I need, I need a, I'm really homesick essentially is what it is. I really want to see the guys and I need to unwind and I need to get away from here. And she's like, you know what? Your dad wants to come down and see you. And she's like, yeah, he booked a flight uh, earlier today. Like he's coming. So uh, don't worry. He'll spend some time with you. And so he came down at the start of reading week and he stayed with me in Stormont in my accessible residence in Stormont. And at the, this was uh, 13 years ago. So he was 65 years old at the time. He came to Ottawa with an air mattress and stayed with me in residence for like four days. And that, you know, that sounds like a nightmare if you don't get along with your parents, like, you know, being in such close proximity or whatever. But it was just like this idea that he knew that like, you know, Mr. Joe is a little blue and I've, I should probably go down there and make sure he's all right and get him all in order. And, and it was so awesome. Like in the past, like all my surgeries and my physiotherapy, I, everything that I did growing up, all my hobbies, like were sort of contingent upon his willingness to help me to some extent. Right. And it, that was true even when there was 600 miles between us. Well, I, I feel the same way about when my parents visited me during hospital stays where I would, they would be, glued to my the side of my room like anytime I wake up either my mom or my dad or both would be in the room with me and you know I'm sleeping 98% of the time yeah but just knowing that they're there speaks so much because they're not comfortable being there yeah it's not like a comfortable place to stay they're in a garbage hotel or something and the chairs in the hospital aren't, aren't even that comfy. You know, they're probably bored out of their mind, but they're just doing it for me. And like, I mean, I don't think that's that different from how a lot of parents are, you know, but the the value of a parent really being there for you, your kid really rang through in this movie because Owen Wilson is obviously a cool dad and Julia Roberts is a cool mom, and I think Augie is better for it. Oh, yeah. We should strain, too, like, we should stress, too, that it's quite common for the parents of disabled children to be separated. Right. There can be a lot of strain between a parent and disabled child. And, like, you know, you, you survey the um, people who went to Carlton with us. It's like, for some of them, like, 
their relationship with their mother or father is is deeply stressed. Yeah. And they may not even be on speaking terms. It's kind of crazy how common that is. Yeah. You know, because they don't necessarily cope with the disability well enough or they're or they're deeply, deeply ableist, like to the point where it's it's a, a completely dysfunctional relationship. And don't get me wrong, like I have I have troubles with my parents from time to time. Yeah, of course. The one thing that they've always been for me is uh, dependable right. in, in very specific and important ways. And I can never take that away from them. Yeah, same. Like, you know, we talked about how my mom, my biological mom, wasn't up to the t- challenge of having a disabled child. No. And I went into foster care. And generally, kids in foster care don't do very well because foster parents don't have the resources often to really take care of kids in those situations. You know, people end up bouncing around different foster homes. Um, there's so many kids there, it's hard to to kind of care for all of them. But my parents, my foster parents were so good at, like, everyone means the most to them. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're so open and caring to all their kids and their foster kids. And it takes a really special kind of person. So I, that was never lost on me, uh, how lucky I was to end up with good foster parents because I, like a lot of uh, disabled kids, uh-huh. didn't have parents that were ready to commit to that. Yeah. But like biological parents. Yeah. But I kind of won the lottery with my foster parents. I feel very similarly. We're very fortunate that way. One other quote I wanted to bring up, which I thought was pretty fun. Maybe you'll think this is too cheesy because it's maybe one of the more inspirational quotes in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I really liked it. And it's delivered by Captain Mandy Patinkin. Uh, so right after, basically, obviously, Argie gets bullied quite a bit. And as a result, one of the kids, one of the bullies, ends up in the principal's office. And his parents are those rich, stuffy, annoying parents who go to go to yacht clubs and golf clubs and they just don't really care about their kid as much as they care about the image of their kid. Yeah. They're very uh like modern yuppies, slick back hair, yeah. peacoat wearing you know, their bed sheets have a crazy thread count, like douchebag, yeah. rich people. Yeah. And so when they find out that their kid is being suspended for bullying for 20 or for two days, mm-hmm. they have a conniption and they're like, well, what about all the money? And then the mom says, what are you doing to these kids making them go to school with and look at someone like Augie. And Mandy Patinkin responds, Augie can't change the way he looks. So, maybe we can change the way we see. And I don't know, when I saw that, my eyes started welling up because, you know, you I want Mandy Patinkin defending bullies for me. That's true. It's very, he, he's just so good at 
heartfelt line delivery. And yeah, he sold that wonderfully. I mean, I just think it's a great line, just a great philosophy, you know. Try not, you don't have to change how people look or the way they fit into the molds that we've created. We should just change the way we look at them or the molds that we create. If if the world can get to that ideal goal, I think we'll be in a pretty good spot. I do think that there's a lot of cheese in this film. There is a lot of cheese. That's a good example of it. The end was very cheesy. Yeah. There's 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 several vignettes that don't need to be there. Like the one particular sub story about Augie's sister's best friend who estranges herself from the family for some really stupid reasons. And there's also a tacked on love story for Augie's sister that didn't really feel it didn't really connect or really add anything to the story. Well, I think the point of it was, like you said, it was adapted from a book. Yeah. So the book would have definitely gone into a lot more detail into all of those stories. Yep. But I think in addition to that, it did a very good job of reminding us everyone is on their own journey. Um, even though the movie is largely about Augie and his disability and how he copes, his sister has a life of her own and problems of her own, and she's going through enough of her own stuff too. Here's my issue, okay? I, I just have trouble with movies that want to try to effectively argue that we should be less superficial about like the residual deformities of disability. Like, obviously... We should be less superficial. I, I'm sort of more interested in when these disabled films point out problems with how we cope with disability, like the solutions that we have. Like, if you can point out ableist hypocrisies that, you know, maybe I'm not even quite all that aware of. That's when I think that movies like this are constructive. Like, of course, we shouldn't marginalize the person who looks a little different from everyone else. Fucking of course. There's nothing new about that. And the other thing is, is that like, and, I, and I'm and i being flippant here because of the fictional nature of the movie. Like, Augie is not really all that unsightly. Right. Like, I, I joked that he looked like an extra, like a Klingon extra in, in a Star Trek episode in the early 90s. <laughs> like, he's not that ugly. And and I mean, it's not that, you know, him being more ugly would have sold the premise to me, but he doesn't really cope with a lot of disabled problems, like with mobility issues. And like, it's just the lessons learned here are so boilerplate and like all that acting talent and all these nice moments that the movie manages to achieve uh, in spite of that is cool. You know, like it does make you feel things but sometimes like in after watching the movie you really have to wonder whether those feelings were earned so yeah that's 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 everything that i have to say about it you know how we've talked about like you don't really remember what a person says to you you just remember how you felt when they were talking to you yeah i think that's the same with this movie and movies like this where when you're watching it you're into it you feel it the heart comes through, you get choked up in different parts, you feel the emotions you're supposed to feel. Uh-huh. At the end of it, if you try to analyze whether it earned it or not, 
I don't know if that's really a really valid exercise because it obviously earned it if it happened in the moment. Like if I make you laugh at a joke yeah. and you laugh and then later you're like, that wasn't even funny. Why did I laugh? It doesn't matter. You already laughed. It was obviously funny in that moment. Laughter is different. Laughter is like pure surprise and catharsis and it's relief from a certain oppression of some kind. It's 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 different. Okay, but if it's joy or something else, it's the same. Like if if you watch a movie and you feel drawn to it while you're watching it, but then afterwards you can't really explain why and you can't articulate that. I don't think it means that the movie didn't earn that. I don't know, man. I think some feelings are manipulated. Some some feelings are the product of manipulation and others are the product of genuine perspective and honesty and truth. And we should be working toward the latter with our stories because this movie is essentially like an up-to-date Simon Birch. You know, like it's really not trying to figure out what it means to be disabled, I don't think. It's a bunch of schmaltz. But every movie doesn't have to be doing that either. Okay, I guess. But like, we're not going to grow if these are the movies that we continue to say are beneficial to disabled people. (laughs) Right. I guess if you're coming at it from that angle, I would agree with you. It doesn't really add much to the disability movement. Yeah, it doesn't challenge our expectations. No. Like in any fucking way. For God's sake, the movie ends at the end of the school year and and Augie gets the award for like best fifth grader or some bullshit. Yeah. And you know, all the characters in the movie are clapping and crying in the gymnasium. And it's just like, that is a little stupid. I I was hoping it would be not him. Yeah, exactly. Like, Like his friend or they brought back Julian somehow. Yeah, or, you know, Mandy Patinkin rewards himself because he's a narcissist and he's really good at his line delivery, or... I mean, yeah, I I will agree that the movie doesn't add a lot to the conversation on disability. I still think it's a disability movie, and I think there are parts of it that it does really well about disability, like the things we've talked about, you know. I'll agree that... I do agree that the sort of inspo porn part of it isn't doing us any favors. Yeah, we'll say we'll say it's like a it's a it's a cool sort of portrait of the parents of disabled people. And the sibling too, I think the sister. Mm, yeah, I guess. And what else? It's a confirmation that Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson need to do more movies because they're awesome. Yeah. Uh it you know it had some really good child actors in it, which is rare. Most child actors are god-awful. You know, that's about it. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think we can agree there. So, Wheel Breakers? Yeah, let's do a Wheel Breakers. Bring it on. Wheel Breakers! Jamie. Uh-huh. I'm going to make you able-bodied. Uh-huh. The only issue is... You're going to have to lose English. Excuse me? You can pick up another language, but it can't be English. Oh, that's a, that's a strange one. So, any language of your choosing, 
what does that make me? Like, if I just am unable to speak English, I'm just like an, oh, I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean, you're just able-bodied and you don't speak English. You can speak another language and you can move. You'd have to get a whole new social circle. Okay, but so I I become able-bodied and now I can't speak English anymore, but I don't have a second language. Yeah, you do. I, I instantly have a second language or I have to go learn a second language? No, no, no. Instantly you get another language. Do I get to choose the, the, another language or is it just like given to me at random? Yeah, you can choose. Okay. Well, I really like German in high school, but that feels like a, a weird first language to choose in the absence of English. Okay. So you learn German. Do you move to Germany? I would love to move to Germany. Really? Yeah, I've always wanted to go. Because of, of my classes in German and some of the teachers that I had, they were cool Germans. I liked them. I mean, going there is one thing, but moving there? My German teacher's name was Rupenstein. Isn't that the Germanist thing you've ever heard? That's pretty sweet. So you would, you would do it, you think? You think you'd learn German? I would, yeah. But remember, you'd lose all of your English-speaking friends. Oh, I would lose all of them? Unless they speak German. Couldn't it? Couldn't we use Google Translate together via, you know, uh, instant messenger? Communication breaks when English is involved, so Google Translate doesn't work for you unless they do learn German, which I mean will take some time. So do I? Do I not understand English anymore as well? Like if I try to watch like a non-dubbed version of an American movie, I'm just fucked now. Yeah, it just comes out like gibberish. Like uh, Charlie Brown's yeah. grade school teacher, yeah, ba 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 ba. Okay, well, that's that's tough. See, like the thing is, is that if I say no to this, then I'm going to seem like an an imperialist Western pig. No, I don't think so. If you, unless your reason is that you just hate all other races. <laughs> Imagine, I do honestly hate French, and I resent the pressure placed upon Canadians to be fluent in French. Really? I don't I like know French. why. I have nothing against French people. I think it was just the Catholic school system failed me. I like French. That's probably the language I would choose. I like speaking in my fake French accent. Or maybe I would like move to Italy and just learn Italian. Oh yeah? That would be pretty fun. That would be I would that would be something I would be jealous of if you went and did that. Yeah. I would be constantly wanting to like speak Italian with you. Well, you can learn Italian, but you don't get to pick it up instantly. Honestly, I think I just prefer like like New Jersey Italian accents over like... Over actual Italian? Yep. So you think you would be able to abandon all of your English-speaking friends? Even you. Especially me. Especially? <laughs> I'm an imperialist American pig dog. Yeah. So you just hate everyone that isn't English-speaking. That's what you're telling me this. Are you asking me or telling me? No, I'm asking. I suppose that would end up happening because it would be total communication breakdown. Yeah. Nobody likes people they can't communicate. Well, it's not true. Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad that I was able to come up with a scenario that you actually stayed disabled for. That's like the first time in a while? It's in a while, yeah. I feel like for some time I was starting to get worried that you really hated your station life, but I guess not as much as you like your English friends. 
Well, it seems that whenever you whenever you challenge the things that make me me, then I can't abide. Right. Makes sense. So, wheel. Yeah, wheel. Do you have one? No, I was thinking, like, okay, so you get to be 100% able-bodied. Yes. But once a month at random, somebody sticks you with your second COVID shot. Oh, and I have to go through the symptoms again? Yeah, but presumably to a lesser extent because you're now able-bodied. I don't think that has anything to do with that. No? Your immune system's not compromised, right? No. Anyone I've talked to who got their second shot got hit pretty hard with it. Yeah. And maybe it's even easier for me because I don't have to move around. So I was still able to work just by sitting here. I didn't right. have to like try to type on the keyboard and stuff. It's a rare example of where immobility works to your favor. Yeah. I don't I wouldn't want to go through it today once a month. I'm so grateful that I don't get sick very often. I don't think it would be worth being able bodied for twenty nine days. I mean, maybe I would just get more used to it. I don't know. I I do really like the idea of being able-bodied. Especially today. I felt so disabled today. Uh, so just a random day. Wait, so a random day I get hit with my vaccine. And then the next day I have the symptoms. Yeah, like you're out in public and someone comes out of the blue. Like they're giving you your summons or something. Yeah. And they just jab you with a needle. You've been vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. And then they kick you in the shin. <laughs> and then the next day I wake up feeling like dog shit. Yep. Like like uh, one of the worst hangovers ever. And it only lasts a day? Uh, well, it lasts however long this lasts for you right now. Well, I don't know. It's only been a day. Right. So we don't know. It could be gone tomorrow, too. Yeah. Well, I'd like to get back to you after I find out how today or tomorrow goes. Okay, so just tell me next episode, I guess, wheel or no wheel. Right. How about this one? How about this one? Okay, are you ready? Yeah. You get to be fully able-bodied. Good start. Yeah, yeah. But with every dinner, you have to have a very sweet dessert. <laughs> oh, like a big one? Yeah, well, no. Like, we'll say, like, one of those desserts where it's, like, overwhelmingly sweet. And you're always, like, you're slightly kicking yourself. I, like, I can't believe I ate that. Like you, for example, you have like a deep fried Mars bar or like a piece of New so York I style cheese. What you're asking me? Wait, can I just go through some desserts for a while? I like this. Oh, great. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So like a non-whipped, like thick as a brick New York style cheesecake mm -hmm. or like a Twinkie, like just a filthy Twinkie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh. You're done. And here's the thing. I get to make your weekly itinerary of desserts. Can you give me an example? Would it be what you just told me? Yeah, yeah. What I just told you. How many more examples do you want? Well, I don't I don't know like if you're gonna just be at creme brulee for seven days straight so I get sick of it, or if you're gonna change it up every couple of days or every day. No, it'll be things that I would love to eat if I was not being calorie calorie conscious. And I was just being my parents. It seems to me what you're asking me is, would you like to be disabled or have diabetes? Well, you don't necessarily have to have diabetes. You can still structure your diet, your diet around the fact that you have to eat sweets with every meal. And you can still exercise and you can still consult a nutritionist who can point you to... 
And the nutritionist's like, well, just stop eating all this sweet stuff every night. And you're like, well, yeah, but anything else I can do? <laughs> yeah, you're like that Morgan Spurlock asshole who made those documentaries about how you shouldn't eat McDonald's every day. <laughs> right. I don't think so, because I feel like my nutritionist would tell me to balance the sweets. I'd have to just eat like salad every day. Oh, man, you'd be too embarrassed to even go to your nutritionist with the reality of your diet. Well, I would be concerned that my health would take that hit. But then again, your parents are doing okay and they eat like that. Well, I mean, you know, my dad does have some consequences, but he's also 79. Yeah, I just don't like sweets. I know you don't. It's not that I don't even, I don't really like sweets, but especially I don't like knowing that what I'm eating is not doing my body any favors. So do you have a fast food that you'll eat regardless of this concern? No, I don't really eat fast food. Dang, Tony. Uh, I like sushi. I don't know if that's considered fast food. (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) How bougie are you that sushi is like Chicken McNuggets? (laughs) I like like takeout, but not really fast food like I don't. I don't eat McDonald's. I don't eat Wendy's or Harvey's or any of them. But I'll eat Mexican takeout from a restaurant or Thai or Indian. Well, the restaurant is by definition not fast food. Yeah, so I don't really eat fast food. You're like, but I'll eat. I'll eat like you know. Medium rare steak from a bistro. <laughs> I just found out that Ottawa is getting a Jollibee. No idea what the fuck that is. Really? It's like uh, Filipino Popeyes. Popeyes? Popeyes chicken? Yeah, so it's like fried chicken, but it's like, it's really good. Uh, I've had it in Toronto before, and they have this like spicy fried chicken that's pretty delicious. And I could see myself eating that an unhealthy amount. I also, I haven't had it in a long time, but I used to be really into popcorn chicken at KFC. I haven't had it in years, though. I feel like a lot of people have just like uh, distorted uh, fond memories for popcorn chicken because it was the kind of thing that you'd get from the children's menu as a kid. Popcorn chicken is just like fucking diarrhea. That's all it is. Anything from KFC is pure diarrhea. I really liked the chicken bowls it was like mashed potatoes gravy cheese and popcorn chicken oh my god every time i think of fucking kfc i feel like i should rush to the bathroom let alone yeah i haven't had it in five years yeah kentucky fried consequences (laughs) that was really lame i'm so sorry not too bad i don't know can i try it out and then if i don't like it i can just go back to being disabled (laughs) yeah sure It'd be hilarious if you eventually chose a, oh, no. And then I have a question about that. Let's say I last two years and then I go back to being disabled. Do I go back to my current state or do I go back to where I would have been in two years? No, no, no. Your anatomy reverts to your pre-sugar days. Ooh, okay. I would take that deal then because I could at least buy myself some able-bodied time, Uh see if it's worth it. Uh Uh-huh. Also, I buy myself disabled time because I'm basically pausing my prognosis. Oh. Right? Yeah, I see. So it's kind of like a double life hack. So yeah, okay, I'll take that deal. Okay. 
and I will get hopefully not diabetes. Hopefully not. Is there anything else you'd like to say to the people before we end? Well, you remember that story I was telling you about me? I was telling you about my fucking coworker who broke his pinky and he can't stop complaining. Yeah. Um, I asked him to make a list of all the things that were harder to do uh, with his broken pinky. And I'm going to, when he eventually comes to me with the list, I'm going to read it for the podcast. And I got his permission to do this. So it's happening. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So we can look forward to that. Yeah. I um, one other that. thing is that we did get a message from a listener saying that I have a terrible Irish accent. And so I just wanted to formally apologize for the terrible Irish accent. Can you apologize in an Irish accent? No, no, that would be counter to the impression. Well, the person also did say you had a good English accent. So why don't you apologize for your Irish accent in your English accent? There's a chance it could veer into the Irish accent because I, I conflate the two quite often. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. And especially when I like am worried about mocking a person. I mean, I think that person was joking. They were, I know. I don't think they were actually offended by your... <laughs> I know, but I realize when I think like when I think like do an Irish accent, I'm just picturing like SNL era Mike Myers and that he he doesn't even do Irish. He does like fat bastard. Or see, that was so terrible. What the fuck is wrong with me? That was like Scottish. Yeah, he does Scottish. If it's not Scottish, it's crap. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ending it there. (laughs) Okay, bye everyone. Sorry. (laughs) 